This is Joshua Bell with the Guilt and the Cloth, and this is with my Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we are starting today on Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, and we'll continue until we stop. Uh, so that's how it's going to go today. Uh, I want to remind you that we're still, uh, we have now finished the Sermon on the Mount. We are now into this moment where Jesus is creating a new empire. And the very first thing that he does in this new empire is, is he, he starts with the lowest of the low and works his way up is the best way for me to explain that. When, uh, when I was in class with Dr. Carter, it was, it was more powerful the way that he des described it in the sense of when you're, when you're talking about this concept of elites and non-elites, um, you're talking, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the world are starving. And not only are they starving, but they're just really struggling uh, to survive. And while, while all that's happening, the empire is uh, above and on top of them. Like it's just, it's just everywhere that you can go. And so the imagery that the Gospel of Matthew uses is, is designed specifically in Dr. Carter's uh, estimation in, well, no, not estimation, in his research is this, the basically understanding of Matthew's writing is saying, the empire will not have non-elites, uh, that we will all be the same. And the, the, but there will be, I, would, I don't want to use the word punishment, but for those that did not take care of the least of these, uh, they have no place in the new empire. Like, so that, that's a big deal. So when you start talking about the leper and the centurion servant, and then Jesus healing the sick, this sickness, these people were uh, excluded from the community. They, they weren't even allowed to be in the cities, you know, because for all intents and purposes, they didn't have medical technology, but they knew that if you were sick and certain symptoms, you needed to be separated from the rest of the world. So look at how that worked from last week's discussion where we ended, where this idea of someone with leprosy that they know is highly contagious, and it could be eczema or whatever, but the point of it is they have separated themselves even from the urban areas, so much so that they're not even in the rural areas. So they're literally lost in the wilderness, and Jesus not only heals them, but brings them back into this new empire that Jesus is creating. So then that makes really a lot of sense where we start off today. Uh, if Jesus heals the sick, then now we've got to see his power. Uh, we've, we've got to see not only has he healed those and, and brought them into this new empire that he's creating, he is now saying, okay, let's, let's look at what this would look like. And God's power is bigger than Rome's. And how do we know that? Well, the first conversation we have is, is this would-be followers of Jesus. And so I'm going to read, and then I'm going to stop. So now when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A scribe then approached and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the bury, let the dead bury their own dead. So right off the bat, these it's it's not a happy statement, <laughs> right? It's either you're a part of this or you're not. If you're you, you know the, the what I'm providing for you is something different. So I've I've healed these sick people, these these outcasts, and now what I'm doing is, is I'm taking this opportunity to then let you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now you can go hide, you know, like the scribe hiding amongst the mass. That's that's literally what he's saying. Um, and then I love how he says the son of man here. Um, this is, this is a direct, um, well, I, I remember us having this conversation in, in class that the son of man is usually referred to human being or a heavenly figure who rules. Uh, this is, this really comes from the book of Enoch, this, this language, um, this, the son of man, son of God argument happens all the way through the gospels in matthew's context we know that the writer had access to enoch and so there's son of man is this person who is now replaced uh the emperor son of man right man the the emperor is in charge of all of humankind uh jesus is now going to be in charge of all of humankind so the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head because he's not of the earth. Make sense? It's a little, it's a little out there, but it's still frustrating. Just curious, do they still have leprosy over there today? Uh no. I mean leprosy exists, but it's not not like that. Not like that. No. And I, I mean I would say we I mean we have cases in the United States even. So I mean it's it's a weird, weird funky disease, but um it's it's uh i don't know how to explain it. so no not like this okay. no <laughs> no no so mother Teresa kind of broke all that down like that was that was her claim to fame right like Teresa went into leper colonies and you see her picking them up babies have leprosy and kissing them and she never got it right? Like that was the whole thing about her. Um, she, and, and, and I think honestly, is theologically and historically, you see the, the stigma that came along with this disease um, started to break down when people like Mother Teresa, who, who was very beloved globally, was literally walking into there. And then all of a sudden, the, there was a lot more push into saving these people. And, realizing that part of it's fungal and some of it's viral and then figured out ways of not necessarily healing it but not necessarily fixing it either controlling, controlling it better be is it like a flesh-eating disease or yes something? okay well and just, this leprosy that they're talking about in, in in matthew could be of any of those things right it's not like necrotizing fasciitis which everybody tends to believe is leprosy Necrotizing fasciitis is it's a, it's a, like a, a fungus that gets on your skin and your skin literally dies and falls, your parts of your body mm -hmm. fall off. Yeah. Right. Uh, the last time we ever heard 
of necrotizing fasciitis. It's a very weird disease. Leprosy, um, the way that we've portrayed it is this, this disease that you get where your body parts just fall off like that. What's his name from Ireland, Scotland, uh, King, I just can't remember, but somehow he survived and he didn't lose body parts, right? Like there's this leprosy has taken many different shapes over the years. And what we have today is, as we know, it's like a skin disease that acts like necrotizing fasciitis, but it's not necrotizing. See what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. this, this could be eczema. Jeez. Yeah. If you get a funky rash on your arm, they've been touched by the devil. Or maybe even a wound that didn't heal or. You right. Know, like it starts to stink and you get gangrene. Yeah. yeah something's yeah. wrong. That's, that's dangerous. We got to get it out. It smells like almonds. We got to get them out of the community. Because remember, it's, it's a super in the hospitable territory. Like there's, and you, you sneeze and the person next to you is going to get it. So they, they had to get them out of the community. So, yeah, we've all gone through this. <laughs> we all, we all kind of have a better idea of a little yeah. bit of this, you know, but uh, not, not even to this level because they're living in subsistence living. Like, I mean, it's just awful. Um, so if he has this ability, he has the ability to heal people and he's telling them right off the bat, you guys can hide here all you want. That's fine, right? The foxes have their holes. Uh, I don't. So have fun with that. You'll you'll be found out eventually. And then he says, right off the bat, the guy says, let me go bury my dad. You know, he's dead. Is he really going to care? We have work to do. Like this is a different idea of empire. Right, we don't have time. But it was his dad. Was, I, know, I, I, know. I know. Like I said, broke my heart. Thinking, oh, I know. That's pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> but the but the empire of God is saying we have to change the world. We don't have to, time to worry about the dead. We have to worry about those that are here in and now. Super hard for us as we're hearing this. But he's like, he's dead. Let's move on. That's true, and we yeah. need to save basically the yeah, world. I, I That's right. That so Matthew is there's anticipation i always just told myself in my mind that guy's really lying to jesus and jesus is calling him on it <laughs> yeah. that's a very good assessment yeah uh so in deuteronomy uh to not bury a body was to dishonor it which is kind of a big deal uh the commandment to honor a parents was a big deal but jesus somehow overrides this idea with uh, and and gives an alternative way of life based on full commitment to him. If you are willing to die for the emperor, then you must be willing to die for me. Is, that's how strong this is, which then goes straight into Jesus calming a storm. Um, I'm going to get to that in just a second. Uh, so, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. 
They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uh, oh, yeah, we're not there yet. So, uh, so right off the bat, um, the boat is supposed to be a metaphor for the community. Uh, and the sea was the, the long understanding, threatening force that God controlled, that God this, that God, um, Jesus does this thing where he controls the seas, um, just like you'd see in like an Exodus uh, or the deliverance from Babylon. Uh, and again, as we always see that the disciples struggle to understand the trust and understand that Jesus is the agent of God's power and rule. So, so the boat becoming the metaphor for the disciples, the sea becoming the place of God's awesome power, right? Think, think of that. If, you, if you're from Galilee, you're a sailor, uh, you know these violent storms. Uh, it was fascinating when I was there that they talk about these storms. They, the way that the, the valley is designed, the way the valley is, where the Sea of Galilee is, you could be out um, a mile off the shore and the sky is completely clear, but and within like 30 minutes, uh, torrential rains could come and push you back to the shore within less than 30 minutes. I mean, like it's it's that fast. So storms come in and go out really fast. Um, and, you know, their boats are like John boats. Like they're not they're not storm worthy. It's 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 terrifying. They're deficient. Yeah, <laughs> they're literally deficient. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's this there's this weird thing that happens. Um, with Jesus's power being demonstrated here. The emperor can't do that. Although the emperor claims he can. We have, uh, we have lots and lots of writings about the emperors <clears throat> supposedly having the power of the gods. Nero himself, it, you know, it would have been about the time that this was all happening. You know, there's, no, he's, he's a little bit later. later. Uh, this would have been, uh, I never get this right, but the, the point is, is that the emperors of that time claim to have supernatural powers. All of the emperors, uh, all the way from Julius on, all the Caesars, all claim to have the ability to heal people. They also have the ability to raise up armies of the dead because the, the gods would give them that ability. Um, they have the ability to... Uh, uh, to, well, to do supernatural things, not not just ch change the weather, but like, don't make me call my Herculean power and lift up this rock and smash all of you. You know, like they, they had portrayed Caesar as this godlike human being with literal mythological proportions. Jesus just does it naturally. Do you, do you see the difference? Somebody had to write the stories about the Caesars <laughs> that the Caesars told them to write. Well, obviously, they never did any of that. That's right. So why did they believe them? Just because they were the boss? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you say, oh, sure. We know you could do that. Please don't hurt us. Uh, we just want to live. Yeah, okay. You know, it's, it's out of fear. Lots of claims. Lots of claims. Lots of claims. So now, we, now we've got this storm. Now God has now reclaimed the earth. This is, you're getting ready to come up on 
Sally, you're on deck. Here it comes. <laughs> oh, I heard a Betty. Did you have a question? Hey, Josh. Yes. Well, I was going to say in my footnotes, it says that the Sea of Galilee is also very earthquake prone area. Yes. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, it's a uh, yes, it's very earthquake prone. Um, which is weird too. Um, yeah, I, I just leave it at that. <laughs> it's just that, that, that there's a lot of natural things that take place around the Sea of Galilee that, uh, and it's very abrupt. It's, it happens and it's gone. You know, like they don't have tornadoes, but they have massive storms that come on the sea. And then, and the sea is, folks, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really, really big lake. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you know, you look at the maps, I think if you put Lake Superior right next to it or like, you know, uh, right next the Great Lakes next to it, I think it'd be stuck in there in the middle of it somehow. You, you just wouldn't think it's that small, but it's, it's, but the storm comes in and knocks stuff out. It's, it's, it's powerful. The word for storm is seismos. Oh, that was, really? Yeah. The like storm that they use here? Oh, that's funny. Storm. That's how we measure uh, earthquakes. Yeah, That's hilarious. Not hilarious, bad, but just <laughs> seismos. That is interesting. Um, okay. So this is a this is a weird story that we're getting ready into. And so I, I just want to make sure that you're aware of this. Okay. Let's talk about demon possession. Okay. We don't talk about that a lot in the Christian church because, well, we don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> I'm just being totally honest with you. Uh, remember, one of the, the struggles that we have in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, is we have a tendency to stick in our brain, not necessarily with our heart logic or emotion. Uh, and being de demonically possessed is something that is, is hard to uh, process. So here's, here's how we're going to talk about it. In the Gospel of Matthew, at the time that these demoniacs would have been, this, this is... This is something that they're used to. This culture would have said this. Um, I am not going to belittle anyone's belief in this, but what most scholars today tend to believe is these people could be those that might be mentally ill. Or epileptic. Or epileptic. Uh, you know, when, they, when they're, and the, and the word epilepsy literally has something to do with uh in greek it's like lunos because we read that not uh, i think a couple weeks ago uh yeah, yeah epilepsy in in greek is um lunos I don't remember. yes the moon we talked about that that's right and their eyes roll back and then you can see that and they become possessed by the moon god so like they, they, what they do is is they use these moments to, to describe what happens to them. And they use words that we use today, like lunos ends up becoming the, eventually what we end up saying epileptic, right? Um, we changed the name. But when we translated it, we translated it from lunos being possessed by the, the God of the moon with, to the word epileptic, right? Uh, so demoniacs in his uh, academic worlds tend to be thrown out as those that are suffering from mental illness. Um, and I'm just 424 is where 
That word might have been. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. No, you have this uh, this moment where you have this. Uh, think about somebody that has paranoid schizophrenia. They they hear voices that you'll never hear, and they're real. They see things that don't exist, and they see things that don't exist. They they literally live in multiple realities at once. Uh, up until uh, the invention of psychology, we always considered them possessed by the devil. And we did all kinds of horrific things to them, by the way, uh, through medical science. You know, we drilled holes in their brain. We did all, I mean, we just did awful, awful things to people with paranoid schizophrenia. Those that um, may have bipolar disorder that had a manic moment that uh, where they crawl into a hole and they, they don't come out of it for three days, or they have a full-blown manic moment and uh, they, they yell, scream and holler, and they, they, they do stuff without being able to understand the, the strength that comes from those things, you know, uh, from somebody having an, uh, an anxiety attack, right? Like these are, these are real things that we can classify today. Does that make it that there's no such thing as demons? No, I, I'm just saying that as far as trying to describe them, it, it gives us a little bit more credence and we can see bits and pieces of it. Now, Dr. Carter, you know, doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go past this. I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't say, no, that didn't really happen. But what he says is the displays of Jesus' authority continue with the exorcism scene with demoniacs. Uh, and then he, he's, he's literally casting out the demons that resist and reject the devil and the leading devil's leading empire. Who's the devil? The Rome emperor and Rome anticipates the future and triumph of God's empire overall. So when he gets to this place, there, there is no, uh, Dr. Carter doesn't even go into like, well, there, they could have been schizophrenics or anything. He's like, no, no, they were possessed by the devil. They were institutions of Rome. I like to look at it in both perspectives. Um, I think it's I think it's important to recognize that as church, we have historically said those that were struggling with mental illness that they were touched by Satan. And and I and, and I think that we're going to have a long time to pay for those sins. And we still do. We still struggle with people that have mental illness that they're, well, you know, there's no, if they just feel better, <laughs> right? If they just get up and do something, right? Like, okay, like that's works. Uh, and then I would love to introduce you to some of my, my friends that, that we work with here in Perry that, that literally live in multiple realities at the same time and, and recognize that they, they are in constant torment. There's nothing that can happen. However, interestingly enough, with schizophrenics, if they recognize you as a person of safety, eventually they see you and they and the voices stop for just a moment and you can see like the clouds part and they are normal for just a moment, our version of normal. And and then and then once they're they get from you what they need to feel safe, they go back into their world and we get these brief snippets into their life. Um, which I I have the pleasure and honor of dealing with a lot of those folks at the food pantry and, and around our city. So um, 
I'm making a big deal out of this because when you listen to the ways that the writer's talking, you're going to hear this. You're going to see somebody that automatically pops into your head. So there's two parts of this story. There's the, there's the possibility of the mental illness side of this, which they could be possessed by Roman's power. I, I would totally agree with Dr. Carter. I would agree with Dr. Carter on that. And then there's the idea that, uh, that these that are possessed by Rome being the devil, that Jesus has the power to pass, to get that out of them. So let's read it. And, and uh, this is where you're going to come on deck. We're going to get to verse 20, uh, 28, specifically. Um, when he came to the other side, to the contrary of the Gadarenes, to the country, of the, the, I said county, didn't I? Counter, uh, contrary. Contrary, I probably did. To the country of the Gadarenes. Some of yours are going to say Gergesenes. Some of you are going to say Gerasenes. Two demoniacs came out of the tombs, out, coming out of the tombs, met him. They were so fierce that no one would pass that way. The word I want you to look at is they were so fierce they could pass the way. The word fierce. Do you have kalapoi? Kalapoi. Kalapoi. Now, what he says here is that that word kalapoi is usually translated as violent or, or dangerous and is used to describe animals. Uh, and uh, he, he literally uses uh, the story from Cleopatra and Josephus uh, that they approach Jesus in a confrontational manner as if they are... Uh, as if they're animals. So they have turned these human beings into kalapoi, these vicious animals. That's why I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong. <laughs> we got more. Suddenly they shouted, what have, uh, what have you to do with this son of God? See the recognition of him? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine, please. Uh, yeah, large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So they came out and entered the swine. And suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished into the water. The swine herds ran off and on going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the demoniacs. The whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood, and after getting into a boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. Okay. That's quite a story, though. Wow. It's a crazy story. Uh, it's interesting that they recognized him. Right, right. So there's the right off the bat, these vicious animals, the cowboy. What else? What did they mean? I have have you come to punish us before our time? What is uh -huh. the time? What is the what do they mean by that? Uh, so this is a uh, eschatological thing. This is like remember the Matthew is about the the end of an age. So obviously Rome's time is coming. The end of Rome's time is coming near. So they're actually asking him. Is it now? Are, is Rome going to die now? And, and and he doesn't ever answer that question. Yeah. Um, the time of judgment is obviously coming, but it's uh, 
the the word here um, where it says time of judgment. Do you have that? Because the torment is. What is the word torment? Basanisai. Uh, I I think that means distress. I don't know. Torture is what it was in the lexicon. So. Uh, yeah, I think we'll go with torture. Okay. But I, I think torture, distress comes close. Uh, so so this this moment of torment as we've been stuck. Time in, is time is Cairo. Yes. So it's the hour. The hour. Okay. So has the hour come? Is it is Rome finally falling? What else? Uh, the swine, the pigs. Is oh, there yeah. significance there? The big, big deal. It's a huge deal. I'm so glad that you asked that question. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's it. I want to I talk to you a little bit about this. Pigs mean a lot in the Gospel of Matthew and all the rest of the Gospels, by the way. Um, the swine uh, indicated Gentile context. For many Jews, pigs were unclean and not to be eaten. Gentiles, such as the Seleucid tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes, mocked these views. Um, Joseph of Antioch, Joseph has Antiochus sacrificed swine in the Jerusalem temple. Um, Vespasian, that's who I can remember, or no, he's later. Vespasian or Titus is said to throw a pig's head onto the altar of burnt offering as the siege of Jerusalem ends, like historically in 70. Gentiles use pigs in multiple ways. However, Roman soldiers raised them for food and commerce, as did in their towns of organized agricultural production. And two, pigs were used in religious rituals with Gentiles, which sought out divine blessing on agricultural production and in burial rites to feed the dead. It is also the pig was the symbol of the 10th Fratensis Legion stationed in Syria at the time where Matthew's being written, which fought against Jerusalem in the 66 to 70 war, which would have been uh, happened before this gospel was written. In the, we even hear it in later Talmudic literature that the pig symbolizes Rome and the subsequent destruction of the pigs is not only an economic loss, but also shows that Rome's demise. That's my favorite part. Uh, it had to be in another country because the Jews wouldn't have had a, a herd of pigs. That's right. Yeah. I, I like the, I, I don't like, but I think it's, it's interesting that the, the town reaction here, you know, the, the son of God is, is visiting in their presence and they're not saying, let's go out and meet this amazing no. person that set these two men free <laughs> from whatever they're going through. They're like, you know, you're ruining our industry. Yes. <laughs> Could you please yes. leave? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the whole town freaks out. And they, and they, and they, and they notice, and they, did they call him? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I just had to check something. I was, my brain went off into another place. So they all came to meet him. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave. So, so imagine. You're a small rural town. You're funded by Rome. And you just cast out Rome out of these two demoniacs outside of town. And, and all, all of the demons went into the swine 
and he disrupted their agriculture. And now their whole life, remember, they're all starving. That's the thing I want to get stuck in your brain. And now you've said, Jesus has said, okay, now your business is gone. Like Ted said. They're like, uh, no, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, we, we still need Rome. This is not the story we normally teach. They're not happy that he did this. I think that's the way we are sometimes in our lives, too. We're kind of like, you know, God, I'm interested in you, but only for the parts that seem to be beneficial to me, not that that's right. something that might be challenging or hard for me. I'm, uh, you know, you can, you can you can step out for that. I'll be fine on my own. I, uh, again, this is not normally how we, we do this. We don't really talk about pigs, but it is historically accurate. The fact that the pigs were the, the symbol of the mascot for the 10th Legion that came into Jerusalem. You can't call that coincidence, <laughs> you know? Um, and we know that Matthew was written right after, well, shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem. So there's, there's some problems here. Um, that's some good writing too. Like, I mean, some of the best writing is when there's these layers. Mm -hmm. you, you're telling a story, but there's uh, there's something below that story, and maybe something even a little bit below that story. Oh yeah, and there, and and the and the part that's fascinating me is is that we're just now starting to really make sense of this, and that's why having the Greek text right next to us with our Hebrew Bibles kind of nearby is it gives us this. Oh, oh yeah, that was that was in. That was in Deuteronomy. Oh yeah, that's in uh, that's in Greek. That's what this means. You know, I mean, um, it's it's too easy for us to just go off of the the publisher's idea of what's important for you. You know, we we, we have more available to us now. So let's go from that story. Oh, it's funny that Ron make that reference to the writer because I was sitting here thinking as I what this might look like if a writer was writing that for the Perry Daily Journal. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I, uh, in, in, in my past, I used to have my youth group write their own gospel, <clears throat> like for an exercise. Like, no, no kid likes to write, so it, it never really worked well. So you, you tell them, you know, you, instead of saying, "Okay, let's let's not have you write the whole story of Jesus," let's just have you write one story about how Jesus came into your life, or what does that mean? Like, what does Jesus coming into your life mean? And it was kind of fascinating to, to hear what they had to say. And I've done this with adults too, like deacons and elders before, like, okay, guys, let's, let's sit down and talk about this. How does this work? I mean, you're supposed to be the ones that people come and ask about their faith stuff. from. And they look at me and they say the same things my students did. Well, I don't really like to write. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. And then I say, well, tell me your story. And I don't really like to talk about it. Okay. And, and I think it's, to me, it goes right back to the, the gospel writer. Right. Like if somebody was to write this for the Perry Daily Journal, they're reporting it to the best way they knew how. And they're going to use our words. I think it's kind of interesting, too, to, to know that, for lack of better terms, they wrote in code mm -hmm. because they couldn't. There wasn't free speech. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not free speech. It's not there. And so. You know, finding out as a, as a new reader, if you're reading this, it's this is not going to make sense. But you have to 
kind of go on, like you say, on those back stories and the stories and the stories mm -hmm. to to really understand <laughs> what they're talking about. Absolutely. We're getting ready to go to my favorite healing story. Speaking of which, like it's, I I love this story so much that uh, uh, I is it this one or is it the one of Luke? It's the same story, but Luke makes it prettier. A little more detail. Yeah, this is the story of the paralytic in Luke's gospel. Uh, there's this paralyzed man that has all of his friends. Laying on a bit, he's laying on a bed, and they tear up the roof and they drop him through the ceiling uh, so that Jesus can heal him. Right? Big, yeah. big different story. Matthew, not the same, but the story within the story, like Kim was saying, that's within the story, happens here. So let's let's read this. And then some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed when Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> then some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He did said to the paralytic, stand up and take your bed and then go home, go to your home. And he stood up and went to his home. And when the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe and they glorified God who had been given such authority to human beings. Yeah, I love that part. <clears throat> so the scribes who uh, are what? Are they good people, bad people? Good? Are they the hero, the, the antagonist, the protagonist? <laughs> they have a job, but they get a bad rap. They have a job, job, but they get a bad rap. <coughs> the word for scribe, by the way, is grammatel. So grammar, grammar comes from the word for scribe. Oh, how weird. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Grammar. Or writing. My question, why would the scribes be there? Or were they just there to see what, who this, what Jesus was? And well, they, this is the second time he's mentioned them. Yeah. So they must be following around. Maybe they have nothing to do. Well, my in my Bible, <coughs> the teachers of the law. Well, the scribes were sometimes teachers of the law. Were so. the scribes in the pocket of the Roman Empire? I oh, mean, yeah. They were being allowed to exist and to yeah. function yeah. under because the authority. Yeah. So, it's we not have to, like they had true freedom to no. to be fully Jewish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, we have had this really bad misconception for probably yeah. well for a long, long time. I would say several hundred years that the scribes were picked by Jews, and that the Sanhedrin, the high priests, and the chief the chief priests and uh, well, Chief Priest Caiaphas, who was in office for 37 years, which is not supposed to be the way that works, uh, and all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that the Jews chose them. So what's the difference between a Pharisees and a scribe? Uh, function. So a Pharisee is, is, a, is they look like rabbis. I mean, that's what they turn into. Pharisees, 
literally become the rabbis of the time. So they become, they teach. they teach, they teach, which is funny because the, the word Greek here for the, the scribe is the literally the, the words, like the, the words on the page, right? So the scribes literally wrote down what the chief priests and Sadducees were telling people to write down. Like they kept track of who paid their tithe. They kept track of all of the offenses and all the court cases and I mean, they were kind of a big so they deal. They were like the reporters. They were the reporters. Yeah. Okay. They kept order, right? I mean, in that sense, well, as far as they, track. they kept track. Track, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're more like fancy court clerks. Yeah. But nobody wanted to mess with them because if you wrote something wrong about this person over here, then Rome would do whatever they told you. So they're the most important people. This is the part that Matthew is trying to point out. The scribes are the ones you got to watch out for, not just not the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they're just doing their jobs, even though they're appointed by Rome and paid by Rome to do their jobs. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, the scribes are the ones we got to watch out for. Matthew is really and obviously around listening. Yeah. And, and, uh, and they're definitely being spies. Bad, bad dudes, according to Matthew. Uh, the word for walk is peripate, which is like peripatetic, which is going around, like walking around. Walking around. around. Yep. Peripatetic. Yeah, so they're Stand not. Stand up and walk. That's interesting. Peripate. And it's paralyzed. The word for paralytic. Paralytico. Paralytico. There's no accent until the omega. Oh. So you've got all yeah. this paralytico. Before you have an access, yeah. it's interesting too. It seems like the uh, the, the scribes or the Pharisees, in, in this case, it, it's scribes. Is that what it says? Scribes. That they're they're more concerned about that Jesus just said something that's blasphemous than having compassion <laughs> on this poor paralyzed person. <laughs> hey, that's, that's needing like, help and life. About you're yeah. you're listening to Matthew. Then you get it. And the word for blasphemes is blasphemy. Blasphemy. Oh, that, that's so the, that's where we get blaspheme. Yeah, and this this is a, this is bad. That the blasphemy is the uh, like it's a an indictable offense. This is when you're um, making a charge against someone else, uh, but it's also saying something against either empire or uh, God. So the scribes are saying, I mean, like it's a bad. Uh, it's the it's the verb function of that word, right? The uh, what is that? It's a uh, that word is extra bad for this moment. So if the scribes are saying that, um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good, really bad. Um, oh yeah, this is by presumably the scribes think Jesus dishonors God by announcing uh, forgiveness. Blasphemy is that one sin that cannot be forgiven? Now, Matthew doesn't get to that point unless they say, uh, and I don't remember which one says it, but the only sin that can't be forgiven is, is the one that blasphemes the Holy oh, Spirit. Spirit. So, see, the blaspheme is still, it's bad. I mean, it's mm -hmm. really, really bad. But God will forgive you even if you blaspheme God. But this is, this blaspheming is saying that you are playing God. That's, mm -hmm. you can't do that. That's that's a that's only for God to do. That's only right. God to forgive sins. And and how is Jesus able to do that? 
that's not something he's allowed to do. And the scribes would have said that. So did they not believe that God is one and three persons? God? No, definitely did not believe that. Definitely did not believe that. Matthew struggles with that idea too. So let's let's uh, let's keep going. We're doing really well today. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it's not who you think it is. Sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, well, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, yeah, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. <laughs> I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Uh, yeah. There is a specific thing here that's going on. Oh, my gosh. She has a whole page on this. <laughs> Just that one little story. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole page. Uh, the, uh, sitting at the tax booth, There's a, it's a public building, um, obviously on the main road. Why does this matter? Who ran the, who, who ran the tax booth? Romans. Romans. Uh, well, the Pharisees kind of, well, the way they word that, like they're looking down on the tax collector, but didn't he work are. for the they, Roman? Yeah, no, no, that's great. That's a great analysis, Tammy. Yeah, so the Pharisees are looking at him like, why are you eating lunch with the guys that work for Rome? And he's like, he's like, so do you. Like, did, <laughs> did you catch that? Like, it's like uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Like, you might do well to sit here at this table also. You know, you can hear the nuance in there. And then he says, go and learn what this means. Like, hey, maybe you should be at this table. Right? <laughs> yes. And then he goes into this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come to call the righteous, but not, not the righteous, but sinners. So who's who's the righteous? Well, obviously, it's these people that are working uh, for uh, Rome, and if the Romans want to come sit down at his table, he's going to offer mercy. Wow. Such a jab, too, to say to the Pharisees, here's something for you to go study. You know, <laughs> yes. They're the scholars. That's yeah. it. That's exactly right. Like talking to a professor in class and say, oh, you might want to look this up, sir. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh Oh, it's this he and he goes in this massive history story about but I'm not gonna read that. <laughs> taxes, taxes is a big thing. Um nobody likes the taxes, nobody still likes the taxes. <laughs> but you know, it, the for Rome. Yeah, how did that work? How did tax collecting work? And um well, well, so it it's a great question. So uh Basically, you want to think everybody that has a job. You remember if we were talking about the, the classifications, <clears throat> uh, the social status. The top three are the ones that collect that, that receive the taxes. Everything from four down to nine. These are the social economic statuses <clears throat> that Dr. Carter didn't invent, but another scholar did. Said that basically four, five, and six were the ones that collected taxes. Um, their jobs uh, were different in how they did it. So 
let's say you are the governor of Syria, the appointed governor by Rome. Your job is to make sure that everybody in Syria is paying their taxes. Well, who determines what, what is needed? Well, Rome gave you a bill and then you filled it. So however you decided to do that. So here Matthew is being at a tax booth. You had to pay tolls on the... Uh, uh, whatever you use, right? Like we talked about the fishermen. Fish, um, but he's specifically on a road. Oh, like toll road. Okay. Toll road. Who built the roads? That Romans. Yeah. So the governors got brilliant and they added toll booths all the way along the on the Roman road. So what people did is they said, well, we don't have to ride on the road. Well, good luck taking your wagon off the road. You know, <laughs> they had turnpikes back then. Yes, they did. <laughs> they absolutely did. Bike pass. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the only ones that had a bike pass were the top three percent. <laughs> you know, so uh, so it's it's a it's a whole different whole different idea. And so so then now you got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Their job then becomes well, we got to still maintain the temple. So they took money. Uh, and, the, and the reason that nobody likes the scribes or the Pharisees is because they took a temple tax and then they took the Roman tax in order to have the temple. Zacchaeus's whole story, which is also not found in Matthew, <clears throat> is, is not the fact that he is uh, not doing his job well. It's just that he ripped people off because no one oversaw them. Okay. So if you if you hired somebody to be a tax collector... You're, and the governor of Syria said, you will do this, Ted. From now on, Ted, you will now be the tax collector for yada, yada, yada. Your job is to make sure that everything gets collected. If it doesn't, guess who gets killed? Tax collector. Right? The tax right. collector. And I imagine, too, there's this element of, uh, hi, I'm the tax collector. I'm here to collect the 11% tax that you owe. Thank you. And <laughs> here, here's that 10% tax I collected. That is correct. And they put that one. That is absolutely 100% true. So, so uh, Matthew is the gospel writer of Matthew is letting you understand that even those that are in leadership roles for spirituality things are paying attention to the wrong empire. And the ones that are in the empire working alongside the empire actually get it better than our own religious leaders. Say that once again. Okay, so if you have Pharisees walking by the room <clears throat> that they're eating in, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Pharisees are saying, uh, why are you sitting with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says to them, well, maybe you should figure out why I'm doing that. He's saying that your own religious leaders don't even recognize the empire of God when it's put right in front of them. But the emissaries of Rome, the tax collector Matthew, did and sat down at a meal with him. So even your religious leaders that you live with that are supposed to be helping you with your Torah-based lifestyle, they're not getting it. But the Romans did. And Jesus says, not only that, my job is to give mercy, you know, and to help those that are sinners, not not the righteous. I can be a righteous Christian all day long, but if I don't recognize that I'm a sinner first, then there's no point in it. Um, so this is this is a big deal. This is this new empire that Jesus is creating. We're going to do one more, and then we're going to stop for today. So then the disciples of John, 
Yes, this is John the Baptist. Came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? Uh, okay, yeah. But your disciples do not fast. Is that word fast? Um, is fast and mysterium is... I guess it'd be plural. Is that the first form? I, I can't do forms anymore. Okay, it's okay. I, I just wanted to make sure that they're saying fast. Yes, and that it was in the lexicon because I've underlined that's what it's Okay, because uh, sometimes, you know, they do that weird one for fast and it's really not fast. Oh, okay. So, and Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with him, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloth, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So why do we, do we fast? when something is taken away, obviously. So you have more time for sewing patches. No, that's not <laughs> it. <laughs> it's a good guess. You need to pre-wash their, their patch. Yeah, that's right. If they pre-wash their patch, this wouldn't be a problem. Uh, I, I sort of get that. And he says bridegroom. So I see in my mind, I kind of see like a wedding scenario or, like yep. a, you know, it's supposed to be a, a festive occasion. I couldn't imagine being that and saying, no, I'm, we're, we're going to fast for our for our big wedding party here. We're not actually going to do anything. Uh, you know, you have this the one with you that is that's uh, the the whole thing is centered on. And so you, it's more more like celebration, I guess, to me. That's why the disciples aren't their time's going to come that they're going to be fasting. Yes. Now, now you got it. So, yeah, there's going to be a time there's that, that they're going to be fasting. They're going to be mourning. Uh, the, the, the word here is uh, like they're going to be focusing on his parousia, the, the moment of the, the resurrection and all, all of these things, uh, this triumph, triumphal return. But in that time frame from his death and his resurrection, there's going to be a time of wait, right? Uh, as we wait for him to do this. So there's fasting. We're waiting for him to come. The disciples specifically. Yes. What else? When it talks about the wine skins and not reusing the other ones, it kind of makes me think it can get moldy. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's that's so a being kind of complacent and not starting afresh or starting new. That you can be the key word moldy. there is this uh, Jesus is new, this is something completely different, right? Yeah, it's not that's right. just you know, you're not just taking your old way of thinking. And kind of putting a patch on it that's jesus you know I've, I've got him kind of on top but i still have my old underneath yeah. with jesus it is a complete restart i mean it's it's something brand new from from the very i'm trying to find the right word i guess the very core of it yeah no i mean and there, there's a practicality to this the that makes sense to them right like it's physically impossible for you to put 
uh, new wine and old wine skins because they'll burst, they'll explode. And so when you, when you when you make the old wine, when you make the new wine, you put them in new skins because as it fermentation as it ferments as it builds up this pressure, the wine skins stretch to a point where they stop, and and then as it ferments, it stays there, and then you have this wine skin that's and it's not that big, but it's big, and as it gets to a certain spot, then it's done. And once you poured all the wine out of there, you're finished. You can't pour new wine in it because it's already expanded to the point where it would, so it's going to burst. So you can't put uh, a square peg in a round hole. Uh, it's just not going to work. Um, and that's what the kingdom of heaven is going to be. It's not going to be anything that you've seen before. Ted was right on the money on this. Like this is, and and it's new wine. It's new wine. New is wine. Living. It's fermenting. That's right. You know what I mean? It's it's you not the old the, dead wine that's done fermenting. This is something that's living and active, and it's expanding. New like beginnings. New yeah. beginning, and it's a whole new beginning. We've never seen it before. And you could try to put it in the old ways of doing things, but it's going to burst. Just it won't be able to stay still in that one spot. This is huge theological concept uh it doesn't however i want to be very careful that i've heard i've heard this passage of scripture used and i'm, I'm going to make sure that we do this as we come to an end uh i've heard this passage of scripture used to say and then this is why the jews are never going to heaven and 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 i'm and i want to say this out loud but that's not what he says in any way shape or form what he's introducing to the world is something different than we've ever seen. He is not trying to create a new religion. <laughs> he does not say that Judaism is bad or that you shouldn't focus in on Torah. He's just saying that the ways that you've been doing it don't work. We have to do it in a different way. This is a big deal. Um, I've, I've heard this scripture used specifically in an anti-Semitic way. Um, and, I, and I just have to call it out for those of you that are on the recording, not just the ones on Zoom, but the ones that are on the recording. This is not an anti-Semitic passage <laughs> that the Jewish culture is a square peg and the Christianity is a round hole. Um, this is literally a new way of life and a new empire of God that Jesus is going to create as he takes over Rome and creates a new world. Um, and Dr. Carter uh, writes in his uh, commentary here, one of his book, uh, this does not mean a new or separate re separated religion. The gospel maintains continuity with God's previous acts of salvation. It does, though, mean new structures or new communities that will be centered on Jesus with distinctive and merciful, that's the part I want on the recording, merciful practices. And with that, we will stop our discussion unless you have any questions before we stop the recording. All right. Well, I'm going to stop the recording here. Those of you on Zoom, did you have any questions or comments before I stopped? I don't know what I was doing when I was studying this lesson, but look at all those little oh, circled words. I have no idea what I meant with them.